morning, and the curtain is up on Center Stage, the show about the arts and the artists behind their work. This is Pamela Kuhn, and I know that my dedicated listeners know that I speak often about artists who lead many lives. We all know the story about the actor who has who has been a waiter on the side to pay the bills, or as I have reported before, the vast number of doctors and lawyers who form their own orchestras outside of their professional lives. All of these men and women are holding out for that moment of artistic bliss which can just transform them. The artistic journey is not one-dimensional. If a performer needs to seek a traditional job, one that can support a family and pay the rent, I feel that scenario can add a deeper dimension. There is much to be said of growth through the discipline of daily life that adds to the cachet of the artist's portfolio. Today, I have with me such a man. Alan Walker has traversed the artistic limelight with his rock and roll band, The Brilliant Mistakes, and his own solo work. But he has also lived a life in the publishing business at Penguin Publishing at Penguin Random House in New York City. Sounds like it might be the perfect existence. And that's what we're going to explore today. How does one career influence the other? And is it possible to define the term normal in the realm of straddling two lives? Alan Walker, singer-songwriter and lead singer-pianist and organist from The Brilliant Mistakes. Welcome to Center Stage. I'm thrilled to have you, Alan. Thank you, Pam. I'm thrilled to be here. So, Alan, I've just got to ask right off the bat. Who who are you? Are are you a musician? Yeah, that a budding musician that's really hiding behind a job, or or can we turn it the other way around? Do you need the structure of the nine to five? You know, with with this with this artist temperament inside. That's that's a really good question, um, and it's funny funny you ask that because I think over over my you know not not over my many years I, I that 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 the the answer to that question has changed because I feel like when I was younger if you'd asked me who I was I would have said I was a musician mm-hmm. even though I was working in publishing and I think as I grew older and my the job became I, I got more responsibility people reporting to me you know and and, and I sort of found a, a, a sort of a second passion in in what I did at work that answer changed. So, in in some ways, the fact that I'm a musician is sort of a is sort of a not quite a dirty little secret, but it's it's a it, yeah. it's something it's something I keep I, I save and and sort of uh, it, it it feels like you put yourself out in such a way for so long um, uh, as a musician that in the end. You know, you just become comfortable with a fa- with with who you what you've done and what you've done in music, and it's not something I feel like I have to lead with anymore. Oh, okay. So, okay. It's, so it's okay. nice when people it's nice when people who don't know me realize that I'm also a serious musician. That's, that's kind of hot, Alan. That's that's really cool. You know, to I guess disclose. So. I mean, so tell me what came first. Did you go to Did you go to college to, to be a work in publishing? Did you Did you want to be a writer? Were you always a little kid riding around in your bike coming to and making up songs. <laughs> that I definitely was that. <laughs> um, I when I was when I was a little kid, I loved music, and there were two things 
there are two things I wanted to be most, and I wanted to be both of them at the same time. I wanted to be a hockey player, Bobby Orr. Oh. I had a poster of him on the wall, and I wanted to be the Beatles because I loved the Beatles. But from the time I was five years old, they just everything about them fascinated me. The music, the pictures, the people, the stories. You know, it, it was it, it was it was everything. So you, you aimed high. I aimed, yeah, I aimed high. I wanted to be <laughs> both of them, and I guess you know, you know, I did play hockey. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I played in high school, and but. Uh, you know, they, I I did play music. Um, I sort of found music and, and started playing in a band when I was in high school. And, you know, I, I learned how to play the piano when I was a little kid. I had a music teacher. Her name was Mrs. Chase. She was a um, a French woman who lived in the Berkshires in western Massachusetts. And my mom, my mom when I was about nine, brought me to uh, get piano lessons because there was really nothing else to do up there in the summer. And that's where I spent my summers. I, I, was, I grew up in New York City, but we spent our summers up there. And she was – and. You know, I I, th- I I give her a lot of credit because she was so much fun for a nine-year-old. Um, we would do lessons and exercises and, and learn pieces on the piano, and I learned how to read music at that time. But at the end of the lesson, we would play these duets, these really amazing duets, forehand duets. Um, and I, I wish I could remember the, what they were called. But um, And then after that, we would move over to, over to this ancient pump organ, and she let me play that. So it was always oh. – was always like a – you know, you did your work, and then you got the reward at the end and had fun. So I and, – and she was very jolly and, la- and laughed all the time. I remember when I was when I think when I was I must have been nine or ten. I I asked her to I asked her to teach me. I brought in the music for the Rolling Stones' "Mother's Little Helper," uh-huh. and I really had no idea what the song was about. And I remember her <laughs> and my mom laughing about it because I I thought it was a song about a little kid who helped his mom, but if, of course it was about something much more. Uh, Oh yeah, provocative. much dark, much yeah. darker. You know, you didn't care. You just dug the music. Right? Yeah, exactly. I just love the and love the tune. I would imagine going to that pump organ had some inspiration. What what to what you later did with brilliant mistakes as an organist. Well, you know, I I, I you know over over the years, you know, I grew up. I'm a. I was born in the '60s. Grew up in the '70s. I always feel like you know surrounded by '70s music and '70s film. Which is where I always go. What I always go back to, mm-hmm. and when I started playing in, the ba- in a band, though it, it was late seventies, early eighties, and I went to college and played in bands, and then it was all about these synths and all this stuff. Right. I sort of came to the like I was in bands in New York playing, and it took me a while until I sort of we sort of found what we really wanted to do. I mean, we were in bands playing music, writing music, and very much of the of the of, of the time. You know, I had a synthesizer basically and some and, and a, an electric piano. But later on, when we the music shifted and changed, and we found that we wanted to be rootsy pop musicians, and, and that's when I started playing the organ. And to be honest, I'm 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 sort of a hack at the organ, but it's so fun to play the organ. I, I had a I had a um, I won't I won't get all I won't nerd out on instruments, but I had this great electric organ called a Korg. I believe it's CX3. People out there mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. Um, may correct me on that. And um, it was this mono organ you just plug into your amp, and it had a uh, one little you know uh, s- uh, six switch draw bar and a, and a tremolo effect. And it, and for a live band, it was great. You didn't need anything too fancy, and it was easy to carry around. And that's when I first started playing the organ. But you're right; it does it does sort of harken back to oh, those yeah. my early piano lesson days. No doubt about it. So, how did bril- the brilliant mistake? come about and where did you get that name um well the the, the name is the name is easy um the but um 
the well, I'll, I'll tell you the, the the creation story of the Brilliant Mistakes. I was in a band for about from the time I was about twenty to twenty seven in New York that had a different name. Um, it was named after a place in Austin, Texas called Club Iguana. The band was Club Iguana, and that band sort of had its time, had its moment, sort of fizzled out. And I wasn't really looking to be in music anymore or play in a live band anymore. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about it. And I met a, a very good friend, someone who's still one of my closest friends, a guy named Eric Philbrook. Um, and he worked at Penguin. I just started working at Penguin. <laughs> and we just started chatting about music. I, we, I think we had a mutual friend and we went, to, went out and had a drink and we wound up talking about music the whole time. And it turns out he's a bass player that also used to be in bands. So we started playing and one of my dearest, dearest, oldest friends from high school who had been the drummer in my previous band, we started playing together. And just totally naturally, we sorted, we sort of started to become a band and decided, oh, we've got some tunes, let's start playing yeah. out. And then, you know, we, we, we did that for close to 20 years. 20 um, years. Yeah, playing in clubs, playing all over the country, you know. Um, you were quite popular in New York City. Yeah, we, we, were, we played in a lot of, I mean, I, I wouldn't, yeah, we were we were sort of legends in our own mind, you know. But I think I think we 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 did get some recognition. I mean, we you know, you know, we 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 had a good following. We played a lot outside New York. We played Boston, all over New England, um, and uh, we we would go down to Austin and play at South by Southwest every year. And we were an independent band. We never really made any money. We mostly lost money because we played, paid. We had to pay the horn players. <laughs> yeah, tell me about this. You called them the expensive horns, right? Well, <laughs> right. That was a joke. Well, partly because they were so good, we we hired these guys who were really professional mm-hmm. horn players, and they were they they. The thing about horn players is you don't have the same two horn players every night. We used a a trumpet player and a trombone player, and that's not the traditional three-piece horn section. Right, right. But for a club, all you really need is a great trombone player who can fake That's the true. sort of middle range for the yeah. sax and a great trumpet uh-huh. player, and they can cheat and make it you know, make it work. And then it's a little cheaper because you're only paying paying two guys instead <laughs> of three. Um, but these guys, you know, these guys were like were like fine wine. They were they were they were so good and they were such great musicians. And I remember the the, the reason that came to be is because we the first record we made we had a couple of songs where we wanted horns on, and we'd never played them live with horns. Um, and we brought these two guys into the studio. One was a, a, a well, I'll, I have to name them just in case they're out there somewhere. Yeah. I think one of them might live in Westchester. Is um, Dan Levine on trombone and Larry Etkin, who is a former member of the Uptown Horns, who played with everybody, including the Rolling Stones. Wow. And Larry wrote the first chart, um, actually for that song you opened the show with. Um, the sort of mariachi chart that went with the song, sort of poppy. Excellent. And that song is New Orleans by the Brilliant Mistakes, ladies and gentlemen out there. So many of your guest artists who appeared with you had fantastic pedigrees. I mean, they had played with some of the, the biggest and the greatest, you know, all around. So... It came at a cost, though, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I mean, the band we <clears throat> we started. Excuse me. We started out as a four piece band, and 
we're probably the only we were probably the only rock and roll band whose guitarist was a professional audiologist, a guy who actually makes <laughs> earplugs. He's made earplugs for like the the Allman Brothers band. Okay, uh, that's almost as good as your title, "The Brilliant Mistakes," <laughs> right. which I well, still think is a George Carlin moment. I mean, it's an right, oxymoron, right. but uh, that's great. I love that. Okay, go and, on. And and we'll and we'll get back to the name <laughs> name of the band because because I forgot you asked that question. I I tend to digress. Um, so um, the um, so Andy. When he started his own practice, he couldn't do shows out of New York anymore. So we wound up trying to find someone to replace him, Andy Resnick. And he was such a great player um, that we had trouble finding a regular guy. So we wound up using studio guys. So in, in you know, by the end, so we were play, paying two horn players and a professional guitarist. And those guys, again, were always shifting parts. We had different people in different cities. So like we went, we would do a gig in LA and we would bring this guy, uh, Danny Ott, um, who was a brilliant guitar player out there. And he, he did some shows with us. So wherever we went, we either brought pe- these guys with us or mm-hmm. we used someone local. And even with horn sections, we had these charts and we'd hire, if we played in Portland, Maine, we'd hire these guys from Maine and they'd come in and we'd walk through the charts with them. That was always interesting, but fun, you know, fun, always, you know, having new people that you didn't even know play gigs with you. So, and the name of the, name of the band? The name of the band, great. Oh, that's right. Thank you for rating me in. Um, and the Brilliant Mistakes, well, first of all, there's, there's, it's an homage, basically. It's an homage to Elvis Costello, who, who wrote a great song called The Brilliant Mistakes. Um, <clears throat> but the, the part of it that isn't, the, isn't an homage is really sort of, a, a, you know, without, I hope this down, doesn't sound too cerebral, because it certainly wasn't meant to, but it's sort of um, the idea that you get these, you know, four guys playing you know writing music playing music and try, and trying to sort of um you know play like the like our mentors play like our heroes mm-hmm. and play like play music uh, play music like the like the music we grew up with and right. were heavily influenced by but the the great thing is it doesn't always come out the way you intend it comes out as something completely That's unique right. you know yeah. it's like the beatles loved r&b and soul and they were imitating you know the, that music from that time but it came out as something different mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. even the greatest bands are sort of brilliant mistakes in themselves so so that there was that little bit of meaning to the to to what we were doing that's fantastic. So what about the publishing? I mean, ah, you were a publisher by day, a musician by night. Right, right. And um, I, I, I sometimes say I, I would – because we'd play on the weekends and often we'd be driving off to Boston, Burlington, Baltimore, anywhere, mm, you know, mm. hours and hours away. I would always – joke that work was when I rested (laughs) and 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 the weekends were when when we were working and driving and probably and that's probably the most exhausting thing about being in a band we I I would I mean we did a couple of small like regional tours and one time we drove all the way to Chicago and back but we weren't really a touring band but we were sort of a weekend Mm. weekend warriors if you will but you guys were committed Oh yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. you were really committed to make this work. Oh yeah. I mean, I think we were we were committed I, I guess we were committed to do it. I don't know if I don't know I don't know if making it work was ever the the goal. I mean, sure we would love to have greater recognition, sell more CDs and and have and play bigger places, but I think you know, when you look back on it, I think the the thing that was most important was just doing it and doing it without compromise and mm-hmm. doing it the way we wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And 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 I think I'm also lucky because we the people who I've played music with over the years, they're all still my closest friends and and they're like family. I mean, it is a band. Whether it's we were we were oh, yeah. probably a, a unusually functional band, um, 
but even even the most dysfunctional bands are still like families. You got it. Yeah, you got it. As we've seen with the recent Bohemian Rhapsody, played out oh, so well. Yeah. You know, I, I, I haven't seen that yet. So, I, I oh yeah, that's it. a must. So, is it the music that that fed you all the time, Ellen? You know, I mean, it's one thing to work in an office, and and you do fascinating work, and we'll get into that in a minute. But you know, there has to be an end game. You know. You're, you're happily married. You've got your two dogs, your two cats. And and here is this this baby of yours, which is really this music all the time. And you you were one of the singer-songwriters, of course, of the band. And it's brought you, you now to a present project of your own solo things, which is also very exciting. Right. Um, well, I mean, the, the work thing, you know... It's always it's always a matter of juggling priorities, and I think those priorities, like I said before, have, have changed a little. And you know, until I, I moved up, we moved up here to Connecticut about seven years ago, seven eight years ago. And until then, I was living in New York City, in Manhattan mostly, and then Queens and the Bronx. And it's when we moved out here, um, we sort of it was right around the time, and I think this was just a not a cause and effect thing, but it was, it was about, it was the time when we felt like it was sort of ending and we never really sort of closed mm-hmm. the chapter on the brilliant mistakes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just down to me, myself and Eric, um, my friend, Eric, the two writers. And we didn't, the, all the other musicians were studio guys who we session guys we'd bring in. Right. And right. it just felt like the right time. We'd finished our third record yeah. and played that out. And, you know, it doesn't mean we'll never do it again. You know, there, there's. A, I think that's wonderful. Someday, yeah. someday we'll have the time and energy to do it again. But Eric works at ASCAP, and he's got a really important job. Ah. And and um, you know we, um, you know we talk all the time. And uh, yeah, my job is, you know, I work with incredible, creative, brilliant, smart people. I've, I've worked with incredible authors, and mm-hmm. um, you know, surrounded by the arts, and that's that means a lot to me too. You, you did this really cool thing at Penguin that I, I loved reading about. You did a project of reading one Penguin classic, ah. okay? Uh, you, you chose by author, and you went through the alphabet. Right. Oh, my God. It was so interesting to read your blogs about this and why mm. you chose. Oh, you're so, you're so, you're, you did good research. I didn't even mention that. You called it a literary makeover. Literary makeover. Well, there's there's a little bit of a little bit of backstory. I'll try not to go into too much of it, but um, I once had a young guy who was working for me. And the thing about when you work in publishing, not every job is 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 about the books. And I, you know, I think once once you once you just once you if you have let me say I'll say it this way: if you have someone who's working for you and their job really is very administrative or or, or a lot of a lot of you know, bureaucracy stuff. They're not, and you want to get them. And there was a, there was basically a guy I wanted to get him to read a little bit. So I just mm-hmm. sort of challenged him. I said, let's do this thing where we'll read, we'll each read a penguin classic every month. And we'll, 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 I don't know. We'll talk about it. When, anyway, I started doing it and he didn't. And, uh, and, and then it turned into this blog that I, that I did for penguin, um, on their penguin classics on their website. And part of my job at, at penguin is that I work with teachers and, and professors and try and get our books into the curriculum. Excellent. So, um, so my job is about everything we publish, but it is a lot about classics yeah. and I do love the classics. And I just felt like, 
it wouldn't hurt if I just kept on reading. You know, I'll also say that it, it, the publishing is very frontless oriented. So your 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 typical focus is on what's new and what's coming out. Mm-hmm. That's what you're mm-hmm. putting your. You know, you're you're mostly what you're putting your efforts on. And here on. you were looking backwards. Yeah, and I just decided it would help my what I did. It would make me mm-hmm. better at what I did, and it would also be something that I really enjoy. I think that is just awesome. And if you're reading a lot of new books, like if you're reading a lot of frontless contemporary fiction or nonfiction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's great to like pick up something that's a classic oh, and just gosh, and yes. that 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 sheds light on the new stuff that you're reading. So it's it's. Uh, Look at you. That was that was really valuable. You've got um, one foot in two worlds. I love it. You worlds. know what? I wanted to just take a moment. We have to hear some of your music oh, is cool. Alan Walker. Not the brilliant mistakes, but Alan Walker. Can you set this up for us? I think it's called Gone From View. Gone From View. Ah. Um yeah, this is a song um this is a song on our, on my new record which is which is under my name, Alan Walker, and um the record was Sort of when I was talking about the brilliant mistakes after I moved up here and we sort of st- we stopped playing live, um, there were a lot of songs, especially a lot of slower songs that I had never recorded. And the reason I had never recorded them, we had never recorded them, is because most of the stuff we did live in clubs and bars, wherever we played, and most of the songs we recorded were sort of up-tempo, rootsy, pop, rock and roll songs. And we always had room for a couple of slow songs. But I also wrote a lot of slow songs. Um, mm. So there were a lot of songs I loved that I'd never recorded. So um, taking it back to publishing, I worked for Penguin, Penguin Random House as part of Bertelsmann, and they gave us, every 10 years, they give you a four-week sabbatical. sabbatical. It's very European. And and uh, so people, you know, people travel all over the world. Mm-hmm. You know, they spend time with their families. They do all kinds mm-hmm. of interesting things. And for me, it was a moment to go back into the studio and record these songs. Oh. So I went to the producer, um, Lincoln Schleifer, who'd recorded our last two records. He has a little studio in Woodlawn in the Bronx and um, we made this record together it was just Lincoln producing me singing writing playing the piano and everybody else were um, some of the best New York musicians um, studio session guys who came in and supported the record so this is a song this is one of those sort of slower ballady songs and that Lincoln I had a, I had the thought of putting a, a, a string quartet on it, and Lincoln mm-hmm. did Lincoln liked that idea, and he wrote this brilliant, brilliant sort of quartet Beautiful. arrangement to this. So, all right, let's hear a little bit of this. It's this Alan Walker. Alan 
Alan Walker. I love that. Now, now we have to get this straight for our listeners. This is alanwalkermusic.net. And there is an Alan Walker, a Norwegian DJ out there. You're not to be confused with him. And also an Alan Walker who writes treatises on classical music. And that also is not you. That is All correct. Right, we'll get this straight. So, ladies and gentlemen, you need to go to alanwalkermusic.net for this wonderful guy's music. Tell us how that song came about. That song is... Um that's uh, that song is uh, sort of an interesting story. That um, and this is sort of just in- interesting in the in the annals of songwriting how things tend to work mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. th- there are songs that that sit that you sit down and they just come out right away. The lyrics, the chords, everything they just come from somewhere and it just all works. And of course, it's it, that's rare. Mm-hmm. This this yeah. had, this was this was a that little piano melody that starts the song was something I wrote maybe 30, more than 30 years ago. And I'd sung a few lines to it and put it away on a cassette and forgot about it. And only, you know, maybe a, a few years ago before I made this made this record, I sort of found that, that piano, that piano melody and wrote new words and wrote a new melody to it. So, so you're talking about a, a sort of a, a uh, a journey of 30 years where this from this one little piano melody to an actual finding the right p- place in my head and the right lyric that would actually fit this kind of sad mm-hmm. sad sort of sweet melody mm-hmm. and uh and then when we put it down on on tape with, with you know Lincoln adding his his great uh, string arrangement it just became a really That's special fantastic. track yeah. and this is from your recent project something up my sleeve right. which i think we can find on amazon and um, itunes and cd baby cd baby spotify pandora any any streaming service you happen to be listening to That's fantastic. you can you can find it out there find it there and either on my website um alanwalkermusic.net you can you can link to all those services where you can find the music this is great so you're ready to go back out in the road is alan walker mm, well, i love it I'm, I'm 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 getting ready yeah we're 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 um i'm working with a promoter we're sort of getting ready to sort of send it out to to stations and so this is this is nobody's really heard this record except for the other the, the hundred thousand alan walker norwegian <laughs> dj fans who've been streaming my music by mistake so i love this yeah. i think it's absolutely fantastic one of the things I really love about you. You say on your on your website that you love anything recorded by Nina Simone or Dusty Springfield. Now, I adore Dusty, and I, I think too. today we just have to go out w- with the Dusty Springfield song. But first, I just want to say to everybody, if you want to find out about Alan Walker's music, it's alanwalkermusic.net or thebrilliantmistakes.com for the band. Alan Walker, I want to thank you for being on Center Stage with me. You are a musician extraordinaire. I love it. We're going to go out now, folks, with a little dusty Springfield. This is one of Alan's favorite tunes. This is Pamela Coon, and the curtain is now down on Center Stage.
That's the way to try.